understood him. They constantly let him down. They constantly disappointed him. And they didn't understand what he was about until after he died and was raised again and ascended into heaven. And this was Jesus and his disciples. Even Jesus needed to travel and be in community. And so it's a necessity. And so let me say this. If some of you are here today and you've been struggling with loneliness for weeks or months, maybe even years, let me say this to you. There's nothing wrong with you. You're not dysfunctional because you're lonely. You're human. And you're longing for that completion that God has created you for, to be in gospel community, to be in gospel friendship with other people. So if you're struggling with loneliness, know this. You've come to the right place because we are all here designed and created to be in community together. But let me also say this. Some of you, if not most of you, have been learning and have been conditioned now in this stage of your life to either not want or feel like you don't need friends anymore. And it's reflected in the way that you live your lives, but it's also reflected in your inability to go deeper with other people. And it's not all your fault. There's a variety of reasons for this. Maybe too many people have let you down. They've disappointed you. You just can't trust in humanity anymore, and so you're not going to make yourself vulnerable to them. Or maybe you've been living in Boston for four or five years or in a city like Boston, and you've said goodbye to way too many friends because they always come and go, come and go. And you've been left behind, or you're still here, and they've all left. And you're sick and tired of all this transience. And so now you say, you know, it's just not worth my time and effort. And as you get older, you realize it takes a lot of time and a lot of effort. It's not easy like when you were kids. It's not easy like when you were in college. Now it takes a lot of effort and intentionality to make deep friendships. It doesn't just happen. And because so many of your friends have left, now you've by default said, you know what, I'm just going to be by myself. How many of you have gone to the movies by yourself? I know it sounds embarrassing, but I bet you some of you have. I know I have. I have. I I admit that. I've gone by myself. Because sometimes it's just easier. You don't have to deal with somebody else's schedule. You don't have to say, well, I want to watch this, but you want to watch that, so what are we going to watch? No, it's just easier to be alone sometimes. But if we distance ourselves from others for the sake of convenience, or to protect ourselves from being hurt further, or disappointed, or let down again, then we're distancing ourselves from all that God has in store for us through the gospel. And so we're called to be in community together. I beg you, don't give up on gospel friendships. Don't give up on community. Yeah, maybe most of your friends have left, but look at all the people around you. Look at all these potential partners in your life that can love you and support you and care for you. If we can look around and see the potential of gospel community, then we will obliterate cliques and circles. When we all later go to fellowship together in the, in the fellowship hall, you won't have to feel awkward like, what if I go and everybody's in their groups and I don't have a group to go into? No, all those groups will be open to you, but you will be open to them. Instead of saying, I don't want to make the effort of being awkward or trying to have a conversation with somebody I don't know, you'll say, you know what? Even if it's awkward, even if it's hard, I realize this is a necessity. This is what Christ wants 
for me to go beyond my comfort zone, to go to a stranger, whether I'm the stranger or he or she is the stranger, and to say, we have something in common. It is our faith in Jesus Christ. Which leads me to my second point. Gospel friendship has a common purpose, and it's Jesus. It's Jesus Christ. Which means that our friendships are things that we discover through faith. Okay? When I was in middle school, from 7th grade to ninth grade, and probably all the way to 12th grade, really. Actually, yeah. But I'm only going to use 7th, 8th, and ninth grade because it was so drastic. I, I was three different people. When I was in 7th grade, I was this hard rocker. I wore a jean jacket and had all these heavy metal pins on my jacket. Believe it or not, that's what I used to wear. And it was bleached out. It was all denim from head to toe. And I wanted a mullet, but my parents wouldn't let me have one. And I was just, I just hung out with the hard rock friends. And we all, you know, like Iron Maiden and Metallica and Guns N' Roses. And some of you are like, who are they? Well, these were people that were, were like chart toppers in the 80s, right? And then in eighth grade, there was a dramatic shift. I went from being this punk rock, this heavy metal guy to a skater boy, a skater. And I started wearing baggy pants with plaid checks all over them and triple extra large t-shirts that went down to my knees and bracelets and I carried a skateboard around. And those were my friends. I wore vans and airwalks and I always had holes in my shoes where I'd scuff them. I had a different set of friends. They weren't the same friends. And then in ninth grade, I had a different set of friends. I became, I I got fascinated with hip-hop culture and I started listening to rap music. And I started dressing differently, talking differently, and started running with different crowds in different circles. And, and just throughout my adolescence, I was looking maybe for identity, for purpose, or belonging. But what happened is my friends would change based on the things that we had in common. We all liked heavy metal, so we got, to, we got along. We were all different. I was like the one token Asian guy that was into heavy metal, but I was into it, right? But hey, it didn't matter that I was Asian, We all liked heavy metal. And then I was the one token Asian guy in my school that was a skateboarder, right? And it didn't matter that I was Asian. It mattered that, hey, I liked skating. And then hip-hop, and then so on and so forth. It was that common purpose. C.S. Lewis says that phileo love, which is the friendship love, is two people looking at the same thing passionately. That's what makes them friends. It's not the romantic love where you're just looking at each other. It's the friendship love where you're looking ahead at, two thing, at the same thing, two people, and you're captured by it. Gospel friendship means that we're all looking at Jesus. Jesus is our common denominator. And look at the, look at the way that uh, Luke describes their relationship. When he had said this, that he was leaving, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. Now, Let me remind you that Paul is now in a city called Tyre in which he's never been to before. Remember, he's not in control of his life anymore. This is not a group of Christians that he's ever met. This is not a church that he planted. This is not a city where he's ever preached the gospel. These are new people. These are new friends. And yet, they kneel before God together because their gospel friendship is wrapped around the person of Jesus Christ. They have this one bond in common. So they all wept together as they embraced him and they kissed him. It sounds like they're lifelong friends. Like who can you cry with and embrace and kiss? Lifelong friends. I had a friend in seminary. I'm a little ashamed to share this, but I will because it it sounds like this. Uh, 
we weren't friends for long, but we had so much in common, and we, were, we felt called to the same things. And he eventually, it was time for him to leave, to, to move away from Boston. And so he and I and another guy, the, the three of us, we got together on his last day before he left, and, and we prayed together. And this is the part that's embarrassing, but as I was praying for this guy, this brother, I started crying. Okay, now ask my wife. I don't cry. I, I hardly ever cry. But I started crying as we were praying. And then we were done praying, and then the third friend was like, that was awkward, right? <laughs> and, and, and I felt really embarrassed. But, you know, there was this connection, and it's because we had this bond, this call to serve Jesus as fellow ministers. We had this connection with each other. And so we prayed together. We wept together. We embraced, but we did not kiss, all right? But that's gospel friendship. It doesn't matter how long you've known these people. You might have just met them a month or even a year ago or just a few weeks ago after church. But the most important thing in your lives are what you share in common. Not the kind of music you listen to or the industry that you work in or the school that you graduated from. But it's Jesus. And we have to remember this as a church. That the most important thing to all of us is the same thing. Because when we keep our eyes on the most important thing, the main thing, the one thing, Jesus. Like I say this a little loosely, but who cares about everything else? Really. It's trivial. Let's grow up and be mature and get over those differences. But let's share our common devotion to Christ. That's spiritual maturity. Spiritual immaturity is to say, I know we have Jesus in common, but I still don't like you, so I don't want to be with you. That's not just spiritual immaturity. That's just immaturity. That's something I would expect my children to do in elementary school, but not for us, not for you to do as mature adults. But in gospel friendship, what unites us is our commitment to the gospel, our commitment to Christ. And my last point is this, that gospel friendship not only is a necessity, not only does it have a shared common ground, a shared common denominator, a shared purpose, but gospel friendship is about sharing everything. We use this word uh, fellowship a lot, and it comes from the Greek word koinonia. And so some of us, you know, we go, go to church for a while, and then we learn a few Greek words, and then we become all spiritual, and we start throwing out Greek words in our arsenal. Yeah, let's do koinonia together. Yeah, koinonia, koinonia. I know some of you have heard this, and some of you have never heard this. What's koinonia? It's the Greek word that we often translate as fellowship. But in my opinion, you kind of have to translate fellowship, because what does fellowship mean, Right? Okay, what is fellowship? I mean, if you're new to church, you're like, what is fellowship? I mean, what, it can mean so many things. Well, the Greek word koinonia means participation, partnership, and sharing. Sharing. In this passage, we see that the, uh, the, the community of faith, these Christians, are literally sharing everything with Paul, even though they do not know him. In the next passage. This is after sighting Cyprus and passing to the south of it. We sailed on to Syria. We landed at Tyre. Again, remember, a city that he's never been to, where our ship was to unload its cargo. Finding the disciples there, the people, our gospel friends, the gospel community, the people who love Jesus, we stayed with them seven days. They didn't go to a motel or a hotel or a hostel. They went and they stayed with the disciples. The disciples there showed them hospitality. 
They said, what's mine is yours. They shared hospitality. They shared their lives. They shared their possessions. Remember, going back to Acts chapter 2, nobody was in need. Nobody was in want. Why? Because they all took what they had and they shared with each other. Gospel friendship is about sharing. Not just our possessions, not just our hospitality, but our life stories. How many people really know who you are? How many people really know the things that have shaped you as an adult? Those traumatic experiences, those disappointments, those victories, those accomplishments and achievements, but those failures as well. Well, how many of you have ever really talked about these things? Have you shared your lives together? In our Friday night Bible studies, we've uh, been asking one person every week to come in front of everyone and share a life story, a testimony. One story, one incident of how God has done something in your life, how he's spoken to you or taught you something. And what I love about the stories is that they're all different. They're not the same. They're not cookie-cutter experiences. They all talk about something else. And that's because God is all working in our lives in different ways, but it's the same God. And as we're able to share these stories together, it knits us together as a community, as we share our struggles, as we share our disappointment and our pain, as well as our joy and our victory. Friendship is a necessity because you can't even enjoy paradise like Adam without someone else to share it with. I see it every time I look at Facebook. I see people posting pictures of food. For the longest time, I didn't understand this. Why are you posting pictures of food? And I realized, oh, I was just a little slow. I realized, okay, it must be because they ate something that they really liked. And the only way to really experience the fullness of joy and satisfaction is to share that joy with other people. So they post it on Facebook, right? And they share it with all their friends. This was the best pizza I've ever had. You've got to go there. This was the best cheeseburger I've ever had. You've got to try it out. There's this sense that you can't even experience the fullness of joy by yourself. Imagine going to a football game, a full football game or a sporting event or a concert, and you're the only one in the audience. Would you go crazy and yell? No, you'd probably be like insecure and be like, where is everybody, right? (laughs) But because you're in a crowd, the joy, the excitement is multiplied. But also, when you're in community, the sorrow and the disappointment is divided. You don't have to take it all on yourself by yourself. See, oftentimes gospel friendship is like water. We take it for granted because we have water everywhere. No one goes around saying, oh, I love water. Water is my favorite drink. Oh, pure water. You know, ice cold water. I can't stop thinking about water. Nobody talks about water that way until they're thirsty. They're dehydrated. They're parched. They go out for a run on a hot day and they come back and they've been sweating. I need some water. And nothing quite quite. And they say, this is the best water I've ever had. It's the same water you've always been drinking. Water, by definition, is the same thing. Water is water, but this is the best. Why? Because you're needing it. And oftentimes, we don't realize how important friendship is, gospel friendship, until we need it. But sometimes, that is too late. We start looking for friendship when we're in trouble or when we're needy or when we're isolated. And it becomes increasingly more difficult to go out and find the kind of friendship that we need. And so we must not take it for granted. 
Have you ever experienced this before? Something happens, you, you, you pick up the phone and you get the bad news. You get that email and it's just it's like a bomb just drops upon your day. And what do you do? You're looking for someone to, to help you, to, 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 to share with, to lean on. Gospel friendships are a necessity. Our common purpose is Christ, but it also exists because it requires a lot of work. Now let me tell you something. The gospel of Jesus Christ and gospel friendships are absolutely free. But that doesn't mean they're cheap. They're absolutely free. You don't have to pay a nickel or a dime for it. You don't have to earn it. It is given to you by the grace of God. But that doesn't mean it's cheap, that you can just go out and get it wherever you want and treat it like a cheap possession. Oh, I'll just take it when I want it and throw it away when I don't. It's costly because the gospel is costly because Jesus gave his life for it. It might be free to us, but it cost him his life. And in the same way, gospel friendship is offered to us because of Jesus. But it costs us, it should cost us everything. And if you hold back and you hedge your heart from other people for fear of disappointment or because you want to keep them at distance, you'll never experience the fullness of that gospel friendship. And chances are you will have this attitude that you're just better than everyone and you don't need anyone else. And they're the ones that don't get it. They're the ones that don't understand. They're the ones that are needy or insecure or rude or obnoxious. And you're the perfect one. But that's cheap friendships. We'll be friends as long as we share the same things in common. We'll be friends as long as I get what I need from you. We'll be friends as long as you like me and approve of me. But the moment that changes, we're no longer friends. And that's the way the world views friendship. In the world, almost every friendship depends upon what can I gain from this person. Someone to eat with, someone to talk about sports with, someone to work with, someone to study with. But in the gospel community, Friendships are about laying down our lives for one another the way that Jesus Christ has laid down his life for us. And that's why in John 15, he calls us friends. Because he says friends lay down their lives for each other. I know I said that third point that we share everything was the last point, but I just need to say one more thing. Gospel friendship is forever. It doesn't end at the end of a season It doesn't end when you graduate. It doesn't end when the project's over. It doesn't end when you move to a new city. Gospel friendships are forever. And Christianity is the only religion that really advocates for that. Because the Trinity is forever. When we go into salvation, into glory, we are with God forever. Worshiping together around the throne. If you're an atheist, when you die, you just die. And you just become just a memory. You don't go with anybody. You don't be with anybody. You, just, you, you die and you rot alone. And other religions will say, no, it's about you and, and your own personal private connection, your own karma or whatever it is. But the Bible can't stop talking about from the beginning of Genesis 2 to the end of Revelation the importance of community, of friendship. And in the book of Acts, it's literally verse after verse, chapter after chapter, 
that describes the church. And it's not perfect. It's not without its flaws. It is quite annoying, the things that they quarrel about and and argue over. But in the end, they maintain one thing, and that's Jesus. And in the end, we must maintain the same thing here, and that's Jesus. So let me encourage you today, in a moment, as I invite you to the table, as we take part in the bread and in the juice, to think about your friendships. And let's do this today. Think about the people you love, but think about the people that you might have a broken friendship with, a broken relationship with. And you know what? Chances are they don't even know it's broken, some of them. They don't realize you're harboring this bitterness against them or this grudge, which is even more toxic. Think about these people. And I'll say this. Today, ask God to forgive your hardened heart and to give you the courage to seek them out this week and ask for forgiveness, to ask for, to repent, and to say, I have been resenting you and despising you because of something you said three years ago, and I haven't been able to let it go, but to this day, I still can't stand it when you're around and you're in the same room with me, and I've been harboring this again against you, and it's been a cancer in my life. Forgive me. I'm sorry. Or maybe it's not subtle. Maybe it's obvious. Maybe you had a falling out with somebody, and it was nasty, and it was, it was violent. It was hurtful. You've said things that, were, that you're ashamed when you think about what you said. Ask God to give you grace. Jesus, when he talks about the table, says, leave your gift at the altar. Leave your gift at the altar and come back later after you've reconciled that relationship that's broken. We can try as hard as we want to be a church, but as long as we allow these broken relationships to exist in our lives, we will never be able to experience the fullness of the power of the gospel of Jesus because it will only go so far as we allow it to go in terms of our ability to forgive and to be forgiven. And I'm going to talk about this for the entire 30 minutes in two weeks. So if you need more help with this, if you need, more, uh, if you need to be persuaded, if you need to see some scriptural backing from the coming two weeks, we're going to just talk about forgiveness. But today, when I invite you to the table, come and let's focus on our relationships. Those people, those friends. Maybe it's your parents. Maybe you have a sibling Maybe an an ex-boyfriend or an ex-girlfriend. Or maybe it's your spouse or your next-door neighbor or your child. Let's come to the table today and ask God to forgive us of this relational brokenness. And let's recommit ourselves as a gospel community through gospel friendship. Let's pray together. Father, as we prepare our hearts to come to the table, we ask that you would prepare in us a holiness, a love, a gratitude, a joy, a peace that can only come through right relationship with you and right relationship with others. 
Father, we admit that uh, as good as it sounds to be in gospel friendship with others, that we've been disappointed way too many times, that we've been let down, that we've been hurt, we've been offended and, and insulted. Or we just admit, God, that we just don't like some people. And be that as it may, Father, we know that though those differences exist, the main thing, the most important thing is that you are our Lord and Savior. You are our master. And as we come to church together and sing together and pray together, we are all kneeling before you. And so, Father, would you now, in this time of communion, minister to our hearts. We need you in this way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I could have the communion ushers.